section fifteen of the romance of the romanoffs this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the romance of the romanoffs by joseph martin mccabe chapter twelve in the days of napoleon the story of the romanoffs has three phases the first is the preparation when the primitive democracy of the slavs is slowly destroyed and the people are enslaved to an autocracy the second and longest phase is the enjoyment of power by the romanoffs the succession of brutal or genial strong or weak merry or pious sovereigns whom the accident of birth or the red hand of revolution raises to the throne a certain nervous instability runs through nearly the whole series but it is almost invariably expressed in a determination to enjoy to kill to drink to love to spend to seize territory to use power for self-gratification in peter the great we find a glimmer amidst the old disorder of a new day in catherine the great it revives and grows now the middle phase is over we enter upon a period of grave and sober living monarchs at first bent upon the reform of their people according to their ideals then struggling in fear against the people they have awakened from a long slumber the reign of paul i is merely a dark episode between the second and the third phase he was now forty-two years old a short ugly bald sour-tempered man of diseased nerves he hardly concealed his joy as he hastened to the throne and strove to obliterate the memory of his great mother if she must have an imperial funeral his martyred father shall have one also he digs up the corpse or what is left of it after thirty-four years puts it in a magnificent coffin and makes the survivors of the conspiracy of seventeen sixty two walk humbly behind it before they are exiled st petersburg is still a land of rumours and we do not know precisely what form his mad idea took some say that there was body enough left to seat in the throne some say that the skull was put upon the altar and crowned with a superb diadem some say that only the boots and a few fragments of peter three were found whatever there was received an imperial funeral and the bones of podiamkin were dug up and cast into a ditch the usual golden shower descended upon the new brood of favorites then paul began to enforce his grand schemes of military reform and alienate the army they must abandon those new and serviceable uniforms which potiamkin had given them they must return to powdered hair and pigtails paul went along the line on parade and used his cane freely old general suvorov grumbled and was banished though he had to be recalled when war broke out a regiment one day threw paul into one of his hurricanes of rage march to siberia he thundered and they marched but were stopped on the way everything must be done on the german model anything that reminded him of france was anathema 
more than twelve thousand people were exiled or imprisoned in four years generally for trivial offences he made some useful changes but so many that were petty and irritating that men thought him insane he was in fact on the road to insanity he suffered from insomnia and took opium people fled at his approach paul sincerely wanted peace but the french were overrunning europe and he joined forces with austria against them austria cooperated so badly that his army ably led by suvorov had to retreat disastrously bonaparte watched him astutely and bribed his chief ministers next england irritated him like catherine he challenged england's right to search neutral vessels and whereas england kept its russian prisoners bonaparte sent home neatly dressed and armed those that had been taken by france when england went on to take malta bonaparte had an easy victim paul had become grand master of the order of st john of jerusalem and he considered that this gave him a special interest in malta at the beginning of eighteen o one paul was pledged to france and set about the formation of a league against england and on march twenty fourth after a gloomy reign of four and a half years paul met the end he had expected he had heavily fortified the michalowski palace in which he lived but about midnight march twenty three to twenty four count zuboff count phalen general benigsen and a few others entered his chamber roused him and invited him to abdicate he refused and it is presumed that a scuffle followed it is at least certain that paul was strangled it was officially announced that paul died of apoplexy isn't it time they invented a new disease in russia said talleyrand when he heard napoleon was furious alexander i lay upon his bed dressed when count zuboff rushed in to say that all was over he started but he was at once addressed as emperor and could not misunderstand he had agreed to the enforcement of his father's abdication but had assuredly done no more whether he had looked beyond or no we cannot say but alexander was a high-minded man a new type of romanoff while they talked paul's widow came and heard the news she shrieked that she was empress and begged the soldiers to support her rights there was a second horrible scene in the darkness of that winter night they drew her away and when the day broke st petersburg burst into open and enthusiastic rejoicing such as romans had shown at the death of domitian that the gloomy and misguided paul had gone the way of so many czars and princes strangers embraced in the streets there was no trial but those who had been in the plot were leniently removed alexander i the monarch who opens the new phase came to the throne with large and vague and lofty ideals not only should russia become happy and prosperous under his benevolent despotism but all europe should be illumined he averted the threatened war with england which had sent a fleet to the baltic and reaffirmed the friendship with napoleon his new minister of foreign affairs kachube agreed with him russia must be kept clear of the entanglement of war and concentrate upon internal reform 
kachube had soon to give place to the pole tartariski who more sincerely shared alexander's romantic idealism the czar of russia was to inaugurate a new era of justice and right for the whole of europe an envoy was sent to london to propose there is nothing new under the sun a sort of league to enforce peace england and russia the two powers which desired no further territory were to form its nucleus other powers might join one hears plainly the echo of the french humanitarians and the english whom they inspired but how was the league to enforce peace upon france russia moved slowly toward war in eighteen o four the duc d'enghien was murdered and alexander was outraged he came to an agreement with england to chastise napoleon only as far as alexander was concerned for his monstrous breaches of international law napoleon became emperor and king of italy and alexander was further outraged kings were born not made in eighteen o five he joined the austrians on the battlefields of italy the story of alexander won the monarch who was going to impose peace upon a foolish and distracted world is one long story of wars and it does not enter into the scheme of this book to describe wars how far alexander was to blame for the entry of his country into the struggle against napoleon or into napoleon's struggle against england is a point on which opinions differ his entire change of attitude from neutrality to war against france then to friendship with napoleon then back to the english alliance annoyed his ministers and people and lays him open to a charge of nervous instability such a charge he would have rebutted with warmth and astonishment his portrait is familiar a smooth-faced dignified man reflecting righteousness in every feature he would have given a hundred reasons for each change in his policy we will notice these and the issues of his wars briefly before we consider his personality and his domestic work his first war ended in the historic rout of austerlitz eighteen o five and his optimism was sadly clouded but when his mind was fixed upon what he regarded as a righteous cause he could be obstinate prussia and austria came to terms with france and alexander's advisers were for doing the same but he refused he entered the new coalition russia prussia sweden and england napoleon smote the prussians at jena frightened the swedes into peace and inflicted appalling losses upon the russians at eylau alexander would not desist he saw the king of prussia and swore eternal alliance and napoleon overran poland eighteen o six to seven but napoleon understood the naive mind of the czar and knew that he was angry at the remissness of england in supporting him before long he met alexander on a raft in the middle of the niemen and the charm of his manner and righteousness of his proposals won the large heart of the czar besides that napoleon cleverly conveyed to his mind the impression that he thought seriously of choosing alexander's sister anna as his second wife at the entreaty of his new friend napoleon spared the sovereignty of frederick william of prussia though he relieved him of his polish gains and turned poland into a duchy of warsaw Kornilov. 
the ablest of recent russian historians maintains that alexander was not duped he wanted time and played his card skilfully it is not easy to credit alexander with such subtlety and there are those who think that alexander sacrificed his honor and the interest of his country he was to break with england when all st petersburg had been educated to admire england and he was not to receive constantinople as his reward st petersburg was thoroughly angry at the change of policy and alexander had to change his ministers the russian ambassador at paris secured a confidential document in which napoleon declared that russia was the natural ally of austria and inevitable enemy of france still alexander persisted though he was not a very useful ally he did it is true make war upon sweden because it would not place an embargo on british ships but out of that war he got the remainder of finland with nine hundred thousand souls for russia the two emperors met again at erfurt in eighteen ten napoleon had there a mighty gathering of his royal vassals partly to impress alexander and he seemed to succeed in later years however napoleon himself considered that alexander was fooling him he said that the czar had the duplicity of a byzantine greek napoleon was a judge of duplicity but i prefer to believe in the simple-mindedness of alexander and do not even see ground to seek psychological explanations of his vacillations he respected to the end the genius of napoleon but the alliance was hollow and in the next year the causes of quarrel multiplied napoleon said no more about the tsarevna anna he married an austrian he seemed anxious to turn poland into a french province on the other hand napoleon complained that his allies spoiled his continental blockade against england and put heavy duties on french wine alexander pushed by intriguers got rid of his ablest minister speransky who was pro-french made peace with turkey and sweden and at length entered into an alliance with england and sweden both emperors now massed their troops at the frontier and joined them napoleon's famous russian campaign of eighteen twelve need not be described here the poles hailed him as a deliverer and he ran on until the continuous retreat of the russians and the appalling desolation they created as they retreated made him uneasy it was alexander's generals who were responsible for that strategy the czar himself expressed impatience at length on september fifteenth napoleon gazed upon the golden roofs of moscow and felt that the end was in sight how could russia yield its ancient capital and not acknowledge defeat the next day began the historic fire of moscow already evacuated by its population whether or no general rostopchin ordered the fire the czar was not privy to it he wept when he heard of the tragedy but it was a tragedy for napoleon also the grip of winter soon began to close upon the desolated land the czar was whipping up his weary people with manifests after manifests imploring them to break the tyrant and help to take the blessings of liberty to other nations 
we shall see presently that at this period he became almost fanatically religious at the head of his inspirited troops he would he said not again leave his armies to unenterprising generals who could only retreat alexander followed the pale and emaciated remnant of napoleon's grand army across the corpse-strewn wastes then came leipzig the first nail in napoleon's coffin the austrian statesman metternich saw the czar at frankfort and was for moderation and victory on to paris said the czar and the encircling movement pushed the french gradually and toward their capital he was at paris for the end and he spent a few weeks in london before he returned to receive a magnificent and not unmerited ovation at st petersburg alexander went himself to vienna for the congress which was to settle the map of europe again one must glance at his portrait to imagine him at vienna he was the modest arbiter of the destinies of europe the conqueror of napoleon behind the scenes however was a limping diplomatist named talleyrand who had returned to office with louis eighteen and he and metternich and castlereagh ruled against alexander's wish poland was again divided only cracow and its district receiving a republican independence napoleon suspended their intrigues for a season by his dramatic return but after waterloo the monarchs and statesmen met again at paris to complete their work here the personality of alexander attracted considerable and not very flattering attention and we may linger over one of the last bits of personal romance of very chaste romance in the story of the romanoffs in the house adjoining his hotel and connected with it alexander established a lady who was soon known to all paris this was the baroness barbara juliana von Prudener. in her youth juliana had been a fascinating and gay lady of prussian birth who had virtually deserted her elderly and prosy german baron for a french officer her nerves deteriorated with her charms and in eighteen o four her fortieth year she had been very seriously converted a gentleman who was paying court to her had fallen dead at her feet wandering to and fro in a state of extreme nervousness she came into touch with the moravian brethren and got religion the long war and comprehensive disturbance of europe had led to remarkable eruptions of mysticism napoleon was antichrist the end of the world was at hand prophets arose in every german village and juliana eagerly sought them she became convinced that it was her mission to preach the millennium which was to precede the end in eighteen fourteen she met at the czarina elizabeth at baden and through her she attempted to reach the czar alexander refused for some time to see her but he in turn went to baden in eighteen fifteen and he allowed her to call she found him in a receptive mood since the burning of moscow he had spent much time over the scriptures and he was at this moment brooding over the open page seeking in vain the remedy of his mysterious restlessness juliana harangued him stormily for three hours and captured him he brought her to paris put her in the house next his own and attended her prayer meetings nobles and famous writers of paris attended 
over all the horrors of the past men saw dawning the glory of a new religious epoch all this has more historical and practical import than may be imagined alexander invented a holy alliance of monarchs to put into force the lofty moral tenets of the new mysticism he showed the baroness one day she annoyed him afterwards by claiming that she had written it the draft of a manifest of the alliance in three short articles the royal signatories would bind themselves thenceforward to be guided in domestic and foreign policy by the precepts of that holy religion christianity namely the precepts of justice charity and peace the whole document breathed the spiritual exaltation in which the czar was at the time the king of prussia signed it without wincing to oblige his friend francis of austria very pious but taught by the jesuits to suspect heresy everywhere consulted metternich who said it was a harmless piece of folly he signed it castlereagh advised the english prince regent that it was a piece of sublime mysticism and nonsense and the gay regent accepted it in principle without signing it and assured the czar that he would follow its sacred maxims the pope refused to sign the practical importance of the matter is that the holy alliance became in effect an alliance for the bloody suppression of democracy and enlightenment and the charter drawn up by alexander became the code of his persecuting successors and their nationalist supporters western christianity became faithless it compromised with democracy with science with liberalism so the holy religion must be the uncompromising church of russia with its profound reverence for autocracy and its hostility to enlightenment alexander became sensitive that his association with the baroness made him seem rather ridiculous he got rid of her and from that time maintained only a coldly polite correspondence the astute metternich gained increasing influence over him and there was no vagueness about metternich kings must guard their crowns and ministers their portfolios against anybody adventurers or democracies who wanted them when the greeks rose against turkey in eighteen twenty one the baroness rushed to st petersburg and urged her pupil to take up the holy war metternich told him that the situation was that the greeks had rebelled against their lawful sovereign the sultan so alexander would not send a gun to aid either the slav or greek victims of the terrible turk the whole russian nation opposed him when a great flood brought tragedy upon st petersburg in eighteen twenty four men said that god was punishing the czar he was troubled but did nothing justice charity and peace he still loved but he would lend no aid to insurrection for the remainder of his life he defended the absolute divine right of kings and assisted in attempting to retard the birth of modernism the poles felt his gradual deterioration russian poland was at first with a show of generosity converted into an autonomous kingdom under the russian crown alexander was the king though the poles had their old flag with the white eagle the grand duke constantine was commander of the army though it was a polish army an officer of napoleon's army was made viceroy 
and a general amnesty was granted but warsaw was far away and the harsh constantine and the czar's more reactionary ministers ruled it the diet was soon left in abeyance and the promises of reform unfulfilled the poles angrily muttered that they had been duped and secret societies spread with a result which we shall see later but we are passing to alexander's last phase the phase of reaction without having considered the reforms which came of his early humanitarian zeal he had we saw been educated in part by humanitarians like la harpe imbued with the french spirit catherine herself had as i said leaned to reaction and let her reforms droop in her later years and the interlude of paul's reign had been thoroughly bad yet alexander came to the throne with a magnificent resolution to reform russia he was dreamy by temperament and he had neither the positive knowledge nor the quality of painstaking perseverance which were necessary to construct a detailed scheme of reform for so comprehensively backward a country however he appointed a committee of reform and he followed its deliberations with keen interest during many years especially from eighteen o seven to eighteen twelve alexander had for this work the splendid ability and devotion of a remarkably enlightened and democratic statesman named speransky professor korniloff regards him as one of the most remarkable statesmen in all russian history he was the son of an obscure priest a child of the people and his large mind and great capacity for detail enabled him to give definite shape to the czar's vague dreams of justice he not only studied the new democratic constitution of the united states of which the czar obtained a copy from washington but he followed napoleon's constructive work with much sympathy and admiration to speransky the czar owed the great scheme of reform which at first he made some effort to impose upon russia it unhappily remained for the most part a paper scheme years afterwards in eighteen thirty the rebellious poles found a copy of speransky's liberal constitution and printed it but nicholas i emphatically suppressed it the first task was to reform the central part of the administration which was chaotic eight ministries were created and although the czar made the inevitable blunder of appointing favorites rather than competent men in some cases the change helped to create a more effective machine the heads of the departments were to form a cabinet or council of ministers responsible to the emperor and below them the administrative structure went down gradually as far as the mir or village council the legislative machinery also began with the mir and ended with the duma or national council from which there could be an appeal to the imperial council the administration of justice was to begin in the village and end in a reconstituted senate and speransky sketched a new code of laws on the model of the code napoleon of this great scheme very little was carried out the reformed senate found most of its proposals opposed by the imperial council and the czar himself who was to be guided by it chafed when it did not fall in with his wishes and often issued ukases in defiance of the opinion of the majority 
the new code of laws was put upon the shelf and remained there until the reign of nicholas i the hierarchy of popular councils was not created alexander seemed to shrink from the logical consequences of his sacred maxims when they were drawn out on paper by a practical statesman and he lent too ready an ear to the reactionaries as his piety increased the conservatives found it convenient to represent to him that these progressive ideas were associated with atheism and revolt the familiar type of political adventurer a man named arakchif appeared at court and secured wealth and power this man and his associates suggested to alexander in eighteen twelve that speransky was promoting freemasonry and subversive ideas and the great statesman a man so far from voltarianism that he had translated the imitation of christ into russian had to go the czar wept maudlin tears while he dismissed him the ministry of education or of national enlightenment whose task was vital to the reform of the country seemed to make greater progress alexander entrusted it to his mother's educational adviser count zadovsky and his own tutor muraviv afterwards it was controlled by prince golitsyn a follower of the new mysticism but a serious and liberal statesman he was a patron of the protestant bible society which alexander permitted to open premises in st petersburg in eighteen twelve alexander found from two to three million roubles a year for the education department and paid out of his own purse for the translation of western works students were sent abroad for pedagogical training and after a time training colleges were established in russia three new universities dorpat kazan and kharkov were founded and these and the older universities were to become central points in a scheme of enlightenment for the various districts of russia it is however usual to exaggerate the work done we have already heard much about the reforms of various rulers of philaret of peter i of elizabeth and of catherine but the fact remains that far more than ninety per cent of the russian people were still illiterate and densely ignorant at the death of alexander and although we shall hear of further reforms at least eighty-five per cent of the russian people were illiterate at the beginning of the twentieth century the sum provided for education was ludicrously insufficient for the task and the opposition was considerable merchants grumbled that they must pay for the teaching of something more than reading writing and arithmetic the bulk of the nobles wanted only a military education for their sons in all about two hundred higher schools with classes of latin and greek and two thousand elementary schools were founded barely enough to educate the five per cent of the population which was attracted to new ideas the work like all the other reforms languished in alexander's later years and was deliberately checked in the interest of the dynasty by his successor the next great problem was the emancipation of the serfs and here the czar's vacillation between his sentiments of benevolence and his vague perception that they threatened the aristocratic system is more apparent than ever catherine had had the same experience she had spoken of liberty and equality and she had bestowed upon her favorites hundreds of thousands of serfs who would 
she must have known be regarded and treated as cattle the restriction of the freedom of the peasant by which godunoff had converted him into a serf really handed over his freedom to the higher authorities or put it into the hand of the land owner when a peasant wished to move he might secure permission from his lord by a payment of money when a noble obtained a grant of new lands he had to buy or obtain by favor a great batch of serfs to work it in practice the wealthy land owners bought and sold the population just as cotton planters then did in america and the serfs were generally treated with brutality nearly every other country in europe had long since abolished serfdom and alexander saw clearly enough how inconsistent the institution was with his sacred maxims he discussed with his friends this barbarous traffic in human beings and we can understand how they assisted him to salve his conscience reform must be gradual an evil which was centuries old and rooted in the very structure of russian society could not be cured in a day in other words the great sacrifice which justice demanded must be thrown upon a later generation alexander expended his zeal upon small alleviations of the sufferings of the serfs he forbade the masters to break up families or to enforce marriage upon reluctant serfs he restricted the right of punishment opened the courts to the serf and set aside large sums for the emancipation of batches of serfs he had a pamphlet published in which owners were urged to treat the serfs humanely and promote emancipation so much was done under the pressure of the humanitarians but it was only a trifle mitigation of the worst evil of medieval russia and the new regulations were not properly enforced russia was the land of the wealthy the millions of descendants of the original free slavs must toil on in squalor and ignorance the day of reckoning was still to come arakcheff tried an experiment in this connection which was bitterly resented he induced the czar to settle regiments of soldiers with their families on the crown lands in military colonies they were to be special breeding grounds for recruits and were to spread amongst the peasants the spirit of military discipline they were so carefully organized for a rack chief had ability that even the mother was provided with a set of rules which she must hang beside the holy icons the peasants hated the innovation and on iraq chief's own estate they rebelled and killed his mistress who ruled them with the brutality that he encouraged the institution was afterward suffered to decay in the fiscal world which was but another section of the augean stable of the russian system alexander set out to make enlightened reforms and ended in the usual listlessness the treasury had long been artificially filled by the excessive creation of paper money alexander recalled a large proportion of it but the strain of the war put an end to this reform an imperial bank was founded a sinking fund was started and it was decided to publish an annual budget it was proposed and partly attempted to relieve the duty on the importation of raw materials and impose heavy duties on luxuries at the same time the abandonment of catherine's extravagance at court relieved the exchequer these reforms were like the others a comparatively slight mitigation of a great evil 
and wherein alexander's later years suffered to droop in fine one must mention prison reform though the state of russian jails decades later does not dispose us to attach much importance to it during alexander's earlier years we saw there was at st petersburg a great regard for english ideas and at that time england was producing many humanitarians robert owen was then elaborating his comprehensive and advanced schemes of reform from the betterment of schools and prisons to the substitution of arbitration for war it is the enfeebled echo of these liberal english ideas and of american and french ideas that we find in the russian schemes one of the english prison reformers mr benning asked permission to visit the russian jails the czar who was still in his early humanitarian fervor gladly assented and asked venning to make a report to him on what he saw as a result a society for the welfare of prisoners was founded at st petersburg and afterwards at moscow these liberal ideas represent it must be understood the early attitude of the emperor after the fall of speransky in eighteen twelve and especially after the czar's close association with metternich in eighteen fourteen alexander passed slowly from a state of nebulous zeal for charity and justice to an attitude of positive reaction tempered by a faint lingering glow of his early dreams metternich persuaded him that the real struggle of light and darkness was the struggle of the enlightened monarchies against these democratic and atheistic emanations from the smothered volcano of the french revolution in private he cynically observed to his friends i have the czar safely at anchor the humanitarian ideas on which the united states had been set up and the early and sane part of the french revolution had been based remained in the mind of europe they threatened the restored monarchies which reverted to medieval ideas of their power and the terrible conflict which fills the first half of the nineteenth century in europe began long before the death of alexander it is to his credit that he recognized the blunders and crimes of his fellow monarchs and never entirely sacrificed his early ideals but the sinister arakcheff and the dreamy golitsyn spoiled the efforts of speransky golitsyn introduced to the czar a converted atheist named magnitsky an abominable adventurer and the man was put in control of the universities the higher teaching was reduced to a comedy golitsyn himself was too liberal and cultivated for the plotters and admiral shishkoff replaced him in charge of the ministry of national enlightenment shishkoff hated liberalism and would suffer no education that did not strengthen in the pupil's mind a spirit of blind subservience to the church and the autocracy a third power among the reactionary forces was the norvgorod abbot foti a zealot of the old type who gathered about him a crowd of aristocratic women and worked through them professors who had any tincture of liberalism were now expelled from the schools some of the new schools were suffered to disappear and in all lower and higher the teaching was rendered ridiculous by the fierce determination to protect the pupil's respect for his pastors and masters political economy and the new discoveries of science were rigorously banned the russophile school was established the fight against enlightenment was inaugurated 
but enlightenment could no more be suppressed in russia than in italy spain portugal and france where the papacy and the restored monarchs used the old bludgeons against it a large part of the nobles was as in france before the revolution imbued with the new ideas and the economic and other reforms were creating a middle class which as in england gave many recruits to the humanitarian cause students teachers writers medical and other professional men joined the emancipated nobles the army of life began slowly to gather round its various banners and face the army of darkness as repression increased the many societies and liberal journals were merely driven underground and their rhetoric became more fiery there were unions for everything of an advanced nature in obscure clubs young men began to talk even of a russian republic the tsar's refusal to help the slav and greek rebels against the turk increased the anger of the liberals and gave them a basis in the popular mind by the year eighteen twenty four alexander had fallen into so morbid a state that he spoke of resigning he wept over his bible and wondered if his sins were not the curse of russia even his domestic life was a burden he had married a princess of baden and her lack of good looks was not redeemed by any other charm except the cold adornments of virtue and piety she dressed doughtily and she generally presented at his board a face as melancholy as her creed for many years alexander had lived apart from her and he had no children the genial dignity and self-esteem of his earlier years broke down altogether his next brother constantine had made a morganatic marriage and forfeited the throne and alexander distrusted the third brother nicholas alexander slowly and sadly drifted toward the grave his courtiers discovered a plot against the autocracy but he would do nothing he died on december first eighteen twenty five a high-minded well-meaning man too little endowed in intellect and strength of will to solve the mighty problems which were raised by his own ideals end of section fifteen